morning church another sunday gasville baptist during the covid season for those of you that can't come or are uncomfortable coming to our outside service this is for you and we hope you're enjoying it we appreciate you tuning in we're going to uh, be in the book of matthew today in matthew chapter 27 it's a lengthy scripture passage so i'm just going to read uh, verses throughout it we're going <clears> to <throat> begin with chapter 27 verse 21 and I mean verse 1 and 2 it says these words when the morning came all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death and when they had bound him they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor and then uh, verse 11 says as Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying are you the king of the Jews Jesus said to him it is as you say and while he was being accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered, Nothing. And Pilate said, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, Not one thing. So the governor was marveling. Then it says, At the feast of the governor, it was custom releasing one of the multitude, a prisoner whom they wished. That time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, they, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife comes and sends to him, says, don't have anything to do with him. Anyway, he tries to get Christ released and they keep such an uproar that he dismisses uh, the Barabbas and lets him free, even though he was a notorious murderer, insurrectionist. That's what the other gospels tell us. And he pronounces Jesus innocent. And in verse 25 of chapter 27, all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and our children. He released Barabbas. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the praetorium. Uh, they stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him. Other scriptures say they put the crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with that cat of nine tails. Verse 29 says, when they twisted the crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed and right hand, they bowed and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. When they mocked him, they put the robe off of him and put his own clothes on and led him away to be crucified. And then I wanted to pick it up. Uh, verse 44. Even the robbers who were with him crucified and reviled him, the same thing. He's now at Golgotha. He's now on the cross. And from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. By the ninth hour, Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we go down to verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthquake, the rocks were split, the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his, after Jesus' resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time we have together. We just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll calm our minds and our hearts, that we'll receive from your word what you'd have us to receive. Holy Spirit, speak to us in a very clear and understandable way. For those who have never accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, would you speak to them about their need to do that this very hour? Don't let them escape that conclusion. 
Don't let the devil steal that away from them. Don't let them put it off. You convict them of their sins and let them turn to Jesus even now. And Father, we'll praise you, you this for us in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Bishop Arthur Moore told of a man who jumped uh, uh, to his death from a high-rise building. The only person who really seemed to know him was uh, the janitor. And uh, he talked about this guy's suicide and he said an interesting word. He said, when a man has lost God, there ain't nothing to do but jump. Fortunately, God isn't lost if we'll seek him with our hearts we will find him. Uh, one of the great Scottish preachers said this, the most profane word we use in the English language is hopeless. When we say a situation is hopeless or a person is hopeless, what we're really doing is slapping God in the face because he is the God of hope. And we need to remember he's the God of hope. And I think we remember from this situation of Jesus, of him being crucified and dying on the cross, when all hope seemed to have lost, when the very hope that the Jews had placed on the Messiah seemed to be shattered as he died there on the cross, we need to remember that when life seems hopeless, our God is still in control. When life seems hopeless, our God is still in control. This shows up in a lot of different ways. The first one is what I call the period. And we look at different periods here, I'm talking about periods of time. And the gospel writers, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, record the times of day that happened when Jesus was crucified and the different events at the times they happened while he hung on the cross. As you read the four Gospels, you get a complete picture of what happened on the cross. And so I want to look at these periods very quickly, remembering that even when it seemed hopeless, God was still in control. Under the periods, point A would be the third hour. See, Jesus was arrested late that night. He underwent an illegal trial. He was slapped around, beaten by the religious leaders. And they brought him early that morning before Pilate. That's what we read in Matthew 27, 1 and 2. But Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 15, verse 25, it says, that was the third hour and they crucified him. Early in the morning, according to how you measure time. These Jewish leaders brought Jesus before during this early morning period and they accused him of probably two or three trumped up charges. They were political charges to get what they wanted. They said he was a revolutionary. He's leading the people away. They talked about him inciting the people not to pay taxes. Neither of those was true. They even went so far to say that he claimed to be a king. And others were saying he was the king of Jews. And he was. The king of kings. The lord of lords. But Pilate, being a Roman and being the governor of Judea, had the power to release Jesus. He had the whole garrison and army at his backing. Yet in an act of political cowardice, in an act to save his own skin politically, he succumbed to their wishes. He bowed to them as the one in authority to the, what the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees wanted done when they were shouting, crucify him. And he himself condemned Jesus to die. He was guilty of that, Pilate was. And yet, 
He washed his hands of the matter and said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent. Let his blood be on you. And the people said, let it be on us. Think about what Pilate really did here. He let Barabbas go and had Jesus crucified. A murderer, insurrectionist, was set free. Literally, Jesus took the place of Barabbas, both figuratively and spiritually. But do we know that Jesus took our place? That we are all sinners? The Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And it goes on to say the wages, the payment we receive for sin is death. And so Jesus took our place on that cross, your place, my place. Figurative and literally. You see, he traded a, a murderer for a miracle man. He traded a sinner for a savior. He traded a malicious despot for a monarch. That was what Pilate did. But you see, again, Mark 15, 25, that early in the morning, he was crucified at the sixth hour. Now, according to how you consider time, we need to consider what time it was. And it could have been, if you reckoned it during uh, Roman time, it would have been about 6 a.m. Jewish time. It would have been about 9 a.m. But the significance is this. That sixth hour, whatever time you figured it, was the exact same time that for over 1,200 years, the priests would offer the lambs for the morning sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And here it is that hour, the exact hour they're crucifying Jesus, the Lamb of God, is what John 1, 29, where John the Baptist points out Jesus to his followers and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. At that exact time, they were offering that morning the lambs of sacrifice for the sins of the nation, the saviors on the Christ, cross, as the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the anointed of God, to pay for my sin and your sin, the world's sins. Oh my goodness. What have we done with that sacrifice? The Lamb of God, Jesus. We need to be able to answer that question because God knows what we've done or have not done with Jesus. And then we go down to verse 45 of this Matthew 27 says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. The sixth hour to the ninth hour, there's darkness. The sixth hour is 12 noon. The middle of the day, bright sunshine should have been, and yet there was darkness. Creation itself hiding from what man the creator was doing to God, or what man the creation was doing to God, the creator, Jesus. It also represents God turning his back. The first time Jesus knew separation from the Father was this time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was interrupted fellowship because God turns from being that to pouring out judgment upon his son for the sins of the world. Darkness. I know that because 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us God, or he made him, so God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, in this battle for mankind, for all the souls, for the destiny, our destiny, my destiny, your destiny, 
Jesus in that battle at that time took on all of our sins and literally became sin. The Lamb of God. Sacrifice for me and for you. Do we understand that? 1,200 years of sacrifice are going to be closed out. I know that because it goes on. It says in verse 6, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, that is what my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 50, he said he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The ninth hour, 3 p.m. You see, it says he cried out with a loud voice. The word is megaphone. In other words, it's very loud. It's a shout of triumph. It's a shout of victory. I think it's John's gospel. It says he cried out, it is finished. Telestai, it has been paid in full. Never to have to be paid again. So I've given my life. I've given the blood. There's a blood sacrifice. Those who accept me now have a way to be rightly related with God. He made us to be the righteousness or become the righteousness of God in Him. So when God looks at me or He looks at you if you've accepted Christ and He sees the blood of Jesus covering us and we are rightly related. But again, we miss the period of time and why it's so important. That 3 p.m. is the afternoon sacrifices. They offered the lambs again for the sins of the people. It was also the time, because it's Passover season, we know that from reading the Gospels, at 3 p.m. is when the, la the sacrificial lambs of Passover were slain. So Jesus died, it is finished, he died at that time as our Passover lamb. As I said, over 1,200 years of sacrificial system comes to ultimate and final conclusion in Jesus, God's Lamb. As he died for you and for me. Again, what have we done about that? Have we believed in Jesus? And not just a head knowledge, but a life-changing knowledge that says, I repent of my sins. I ask you to save me. I believe in you. I trust you with all of my faith. It doesn't matter what our past is. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.9 and 10 says that if you believe in your heart, about Jesus raising from the dead, and you believe in your heart that he is God's son, uh, you'll be saved. Because with the heart you believe to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do we understand that? Have we done anything about that? Those are the periods of time that are very significant. The morning sacrifice, darkness at noon, uh, the darkness of the hour, and the evening sacrifice, the Passover lamb is truly slain once, forever, for all. That leads me to the second major point, the place. Point A would be Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is filled right now because of the law of Moses. The law said that three times a year, all the males of the Jewish nation were to appear before God at the temple. 
We find that in Exodus 23:17 when it says, Three times in a year all your males shall appear, appear before the Lord God. And so here they are in Jerusalem, the holy city of God. We understand that uh, it's there that God's son is literally murdered on trumped up charges illegally. But they've done it. Now think about it. This place is made holy because of God's presence there. And yet one of the most unholy acts, probably the most unholy act that ever happened in all of human history happens at Jerusalem. God's son is married, is murdered. You see, we call this a holy place because it's a church and, and it's a sanctuary. What, might, what makes it holy is God's place. I'm going to go further. One of the commentaries said this, and, and I liked it. It said... The place wherever God is is made holy simply by his presence, but it's kept holy by our obedience to a holy God. Are we obedient? Have we accepted Christ? Are we living for him? Are we reaching out to others? Are we doing what Christ said to do? So Jerusalem's the first place, but then it talks about Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of death. It's outside the city wall. Now that's very interesting if you know your Jewish history. Here's why. Each fall of the year, the Jews celebrate Yom Kippur. It's the great high holy day. On Yom Kippur, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, the high priest would confess the sins of the people on a goat. What we call the scapegoat. He takes the fall for all of God's people. All the sins are confessed there. He is led out into the wilderness by someone that's not a Jewish person. Someone they've hired to do it. And to keep him from coming back to the camp and bringing the sins back to the people, that non-Jew kills that goat somewhere out in the wilderness so the sins can't come back. It's a picture of forgiveness. When God forgives us, the sins don't come back. But the significance is it's outside the camp. Here, Jesus is led outside of Jerusalem to the place of the skull, Golgotha. We call it Calvary. And there he's crucified. And it's non-Jews who kill him, the Romans. God leaves no loose ends. None of this happened by accident. Jesus wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. Poor Jesus, no. He said, I lay my life down. And I take it back up. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it back up. The Father has given me this power. And he did exactly that. He died on the cross knowing what he was facing. Knowing what he was doing. Knowing why he did it. Because he loved us with such a great love. So he could offer sins once for all. And we could be rightly related to God the Father. And then in three days he takes his life back up. And raises from the dead. Hallelujah. That should give us goosebumps. He literally is our Passover lamb, but he's also our scapegoat. Our sins are removed, never to come back upon us again. So we have the period, the time periods, and then we have the places, Jerusalem, Calvary, Golgotha, whatever you want to call it. Then we have the people, the third major point. First of all, point A is the Jewish leaders. They symbolize, these people symbolize those who knew and have heard the truth and uttered reject Jesus. They knew who Jesus claimed to be. They knew who he should be because of his miracles, because of his word. Nobody ever spoke like him, lived like him. 
and yet they utterly rejected Jesus. The only time somebody's without hope is when they reject Jesus Christ and die without Jesus. Then there were the thieves, one crucified on his left hand, one crucified on his right hand. They represent us in this way. There's no neutrality. One rejects Jesus and if you really are who you say you are, get off the cross and save us too. But he never says he's a sinner. The other one says, oh, be quiet. Don't you know what you say? This man has done nothing wrong. But we deserve what we're getting. And then he accepts Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two responses. One, rejection. One of accepting. No neutrality. The same as in our day. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till it's too late. Don't put it off till God says you had your chance. I'm not going to bother you with it anymore. Because if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit wooing us, if it wasn't the Holy Spirit drawing us, none of us would come to Christ. Because we like our sins too much. So the first people that I see there are the Jewish leaders. The second one I see are the thieves. The third group are the Roman centurion. In verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. In other words, they had the earthquake, they had the darkness. They feared greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. And then the temple, the veil of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the Holy uh, Court where the offerings are done, is ripped from top to bottom. God did it. It's a work of God, not a work of man. And now we have entrance to the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But these Roman centurion identifies you and me. My sin and your sin put Jesus on the cross. We were without hope that we were born Jewish. We didn't have the promises of the commonwealth of the Jews from God, but he grafted us in, as Paul says in the book of Romans. Now we're joint heirs with Christ when we accept. He's made himself a new people. He died in our place, and we need to acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. There's a poem called The Third Man. I didn't find who wrote it. I think it's anonymous. It says, last night I dreamed, I took a walk up Calvary's lonely hill. The things I saw, my own eyes could hardly have been more real. I saw upon uh, three crosses, three men in agony, two cried out for mercy. The third man looked at me. And all oh, the hurt in that man's eyes just broke my heart in two. It seemed that I could say, hear him say, I'm doing this for you. I knelt beneath the third man's cross and slowly lowered my head. I reached out and touched his feet, and it stained my hands with red. I heard him cry in pain and raised my eyes to see the blood spill from the third man's side, and some spilled onto me. The third man wore a crown of thorns, spikes held him on the tree. I heard him say, oh my God, my God, hast thou forsaken me? And there within the mighty crowd, the ones who mocked him cried, King, save yourself if thou art king. And then the third man died. And suddenly I heard the thunder roar and saw the lightning pierce the sky. The third man was still hanging there. And I began to cry. I saw the boulders fall and heard the breaking of the ground. 
Then I awoke. Though I dreamed, I touched my cheeks and found my eyes were wet. Where I'd cried a dream, I wish I knew. I can still hear that third man saying, I'm doing this for you. He did it for me. He did it for you. Have you responded in a positive way to Jesus Christ? Do you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior? Do you need to cry out and say, I know only you can save me. I place my faith and trust in you. I give you my life. Be the boss of my life. Do you need to do that today? You can do that right where you are. You can call me and I'll help you do that. But you need to do it. Maybe you've done that, but you've been living your own way. and You need to come back in re-education to the one who did this for you and for me. Maybe it's church membership. Maybe you want to praise him. Maybe you're in sort of a hopeless situation, but you need to remember our God is the God of hope. And hope really didn't die. It rose the third day so that we can have hope eternal. Whatever it is in this pandemic season, if you need hope, come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for going on the cross in our place. Thank you for your great love that you drew us to yourself. Continue to draw others around the world. Holy Spirit, let the word of God go forth in power and in truth around the world at this time. Holy Spirit, please don't pass us by. Holy Spirit, please bring revival. Pour your spirit out upon all men, all women around our world, all nations, all languages. Bring glory to yourself during the midst of this and halt it in Christ's name. Have a good weekend, church. We'll see you next time.